ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth has a new podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities that surround it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. My name is Fred Siegel, and um, I don't know why my AirPods don't work when I talk. Ah, technology. A blessing and a curse. Uh, my best solution is an easy one. Just clean those suckers. Usually when they sound muffled, it's it's because they're dirty. And weirdly, I found that cleaning my AirPods is an oddly and surprisingly satisfying thing to do. Like, you know, some other ostensibly gross things like popping pimples or cleaning under your fingernails. Have I said too much? All right, moving on. If cleaning them doesn't do the trick, uh, maybe time to look into some repair to snag some new ones. That's what she said. Welcome into That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, featuring a host that has a little spring in her step after that unexpected Chicago Bears win in their season opener. Uh, the incredible photos, the videos of the postgame slip and slide celebrations, so good. Um, almost enough to make me forget about the terrible, no good, horrible, very bad ending to the Chicago Sky season. Almost, clearly. Uh, today's guest knows a lot about sports endings and beginnings and all the hot takes and bold predictions that accompany them. His name is Fred Siegel and he is the man behind the popular Twitter account at Old Takes Exposed, freezing cold takes. Uh, he's a Florida man. He lives there with his wife and two kids, former lawyer, rabid Florida Gators fan, and he has become a chronicler of takes. Uh, he started the Twitter account back in 2015 to hold folks accountable sort of playfully for some of the most profoundly loud wrong takes in the sports world. Things like, I don't know, at real Skip Bayless on Johnny Manziel. Quote, Johnny football will one day be bigger in Cleveland than his buddy LeBron ever was. Or, I don't know, at Sarah Spain, June of 2021. No chance the Bucks win this series now. Would have to win on the road in Game 7, and KD ain't letting that happen. Period. Congrats to the Bucks on their NBA championship. Uh, occasionally, he'll dip into some non-sports takes if they're egregious enough, uh, like a 2001 Bloomberg story that had the headline, Sorry, Steve, here's why Apple stores won't work. Or, uh, more dramatically, uh, 1933 quote, Walter Lippmann called a recent speech by Adolf Hitler reassuring because he, quote, does not wish to disturb the peace in Europe. Questioning Germany is in itself a deep form of intolerance. Quote, it is not the intention of Germany to inflict upon others misery. Usually just sports, though. Uh, the Twitter account has now spawned a book by Siegel called Freezing Cold Takes NFL, Football Media's Most Inaccurate Predictions and the Fascinating Stories Behind Them. It's a collection of very poorly aged predictions and analysis from a bunch of different NFL media members and personalities and covers some of the most famous teams, players, draft picks, hiring decisions, and games uh, using a ton of research. Uh, so he goes back and finds a lot of the content and context to understand why the prediction was made and why the prognosticator maybe wishes he or she could take it all back. Uh, so we get into who the man is behind this account. He joins me to talk about his background, starting the account, the best and worst reactions he's gotten to it, writing the book, and then, you know, finding that sweet spot when calling people out for their mistakes without being too mean about it. Uh, be sure to stick around after the interview, too, because we've got a final update from our That's What She Said Do crew. Who achieved their goals? Who stopped short? Who needs a little more time? Uh, we get into all of it. That's what she said. Joining us this week, a man who was very busy all of last weekend, retweeting some spicy Scott Frost takes. Also, a few folks who buried the Bears before Sunday's game with the Niners even got started. It's Fred Siegel. He's the man behind freezing cold takes. And before we get to the Twitter, the book, and uh, how many people in the sports industry want you dead, let's just go back to you growing up, being a kid. Were you always a big sports fan? Yes. Yes, always. Did you play as well? 
I played, um, and I even played little high school baseball, but eventually the teams were, I played in Miami, growing up in Miami, and then I was playing junior varsity. I thought it was really good. And then um, we started going to play against these baseball schools in Miami, and they were just so good. A lot of the players on those teams are probably in the majors now. Um, Miami has great baseball. So I realized I wasn't very good. I pitched one game. I think I started, I gave up like 12 runs and two innings. And that was it. <laughs> I was five, nine and like one thirty. So <laughs> and that was it for my sports career, but I've always loved sports. And, uh, you know, my father always was big on watching the games and everything. And I watched it with him. And you ended up going to uh, University of Florida, which then you became a Gators obsessive. When you went to school there, what did you think you wanted to do for a living? And, and what were your big dreams? Well, I, I first I wanted to be involved in TV. But um, I guess I guess I that flamed out because what I want, what I want happened was is I didn't get into this special program in University of Florida. I probably wasn't I didn't pass the test or like didn't pass the audition. I probably didn't try hard. I wasn't a very good student. So what happened was I just decided I was going to do the law test. And I did well on the law test enough to get me into a school, a law school that like didn't care as much about your grades. And uh, <laughs> so that's what I did. I went to law school, but I, I was kind of pretty aimless in that, at, the, at that regard. Um, as far as the University of Florida, those, my father went to University of Florida. So I was one of the, like, one of the few kids in Miami who rooted for University of Florida. All so, my friends were University of Miami fans. What I'm hearing you say, Fred, is that it's much harder to be on TV than to be a lawyer. It probably is. <laughs> um, it's not that hard to be a lawyer. <laughs> I think to become a lawyer is not that hard. Right. To be it's a hard good to practicing. stay a lawyer. Right. It's hard to be great as a lawyer. Um, I come I from a family a of, of lawyers, so uh, just going to yeah, jot yeah, that down. Yeah. I wasn't good enough to get into the TV program, so I became a lawyer. I'm going <laughs> to jot that down for the next family dinner. Um, what it's kind more, of law? It's more exclusive, I tell you that. It's what? It's more exclusive. Like a TV That's, program wasn't easy to get into for people. And I think all the people who got in were probably working real hard on their audition. And I was probably not. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, what kind of law did you want to practice? I practiced healthcare law, which was tra healthcare transactions. What I did was I, I did transactions like mergers and acquisitions with hospitals and then contracts with doctors. Nothing like with insurance, but just general stuff. And um, I did that because that's what my father did. And I just decided, hey, well, I already have someone who could teach me everything. So that's what I did. And is that what um, you ended up practicing for the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. I practiced wow. that for eight years. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So, but I didn't like it at all. Uh, I didn't like doing it. I didn't like anything about it. And it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's extra hard to do something you don't like. And I think that's a lot of the case with lawyers. Um, yeah. There's a lot of lawyers who don't like it. And those guys are going to get their ass kicked by people who do. The people who like it just sit there and just study and do all that crap and learn all the cases and everything. I mean, you can't, that's just, when they have a passion for it, it's, it's impossible to beat them. Yeah. It, uh, I know a lot of quote unquote recovering lawyers who right. turned into sports agents or journalists or otherwise. So it certainly is, um, you gotta, you gotta be into it because it is, it right. is a lot of work. Um, so I imagine that, not being super passionate about your day job is part of the reason that you decided to become an anonymous accountability check for journalists and sports across the world. Tell me about how it all started and what inspired it. Well, what happened was I was in, I was just a, at, at my, I guess I think I was just, you know, Thanksgiving break and I was just sitting there watching TV, but I had been using Twitter for years and I just saw journalists. Um, what they did was they would, they would post their accurate predictions and on Twitter and, and post self congratulatory messages. And I figured that I just decided one day I was going to have a counter to that just for fun. <laughs> I said to myself, someone should be the person who posts retweets and quotes were some of the same media people. They turned out to be wrong, dead wrong. And I just became that person. I didn't expect the feed to become big, but it became big pretty quickly. And I was going to do it, yeah, like you said, anonymously. But once it started becoming big, I didn't feel comfortable doing it anonymously. I feel like, you know, I'm doing something where I'm making fun of people. Uh, I feel like I should be out there. 
So I, I, yeah. didn't, I immediately said who I was, but uh, I, it, it became big very quick. Um, and, and, you know, eventually I was able to write the book, which is something I really wanted to do uh, because, you know, it sometimes gets a little tedious doing the same thing with, with, the, with just tweets. Don't really right. explain what was going on during the time. It's There's also said. no uh, th zero payment for tweets. I've unfortunately learned, uh, despite yeah. having written hundreds <laughs> of thousands true. of them. Unless someone pays you, <laughs> not that yeah. much. That's right. To, to tweet about their product or their show. Yeah, exactly. um, you know, you mentioned I, it makes sense to not want to be uh, anonymous because essentially the, the account is holding people accountable. So you yourself should be right. able to put your face and your name to it. And, and you mentioned you're kind of making fun of people. You are, but it feels like it's very playful. It certainly could be much meaner and more cruel. Was that a conscious decision to be playful about it? Yeah, I mean, the whole time I've never... I can't imagine if, if, it, if I have on a regular tweet, I, I don't think I've ever insulted anybody personally. That's not the thing. I just post their take and that's it. So I don't want to be personal with people because I think Twitter is one of these places where online in general, but especially Twitter, where you judge someone's character based on a few tweets. And right. it's just, and just a few things like, uh, the way they act towards their, your team or if they're condescending in tweets or just, you know, just wait, their whole personality is judged based on what one thing they do. And, and these people are good fathers, good mothers, good everything. And um, probably have, you know, really nice people in their lives. And it's it just kind of made out like they're a terrible person for the things they do. On, on well, people are a bit extreme about their sports. People take people take their sports a little too seriously, oh, yeah. exactly. so it's not surprising. I also think when you're doing something that's going to inherently put people on the defensive, mm -hmm. if you are also mean about it, it's not going to be palatable for those watching from afar either. Everybody right. understands. There's a little secondhand cringe when someone is proven very wrong. It's sort of delectable because we like to call out journalists who are usually puffing up their chests about how right they are. But if it's if it's that cringe plus it's mean, then it's not so much fun anymore. Now you kind of feel bad for picking on someone. But if you just lay it out there straight like you do without a lot of commentary, here's the thing you said, everybody knows it was very wrong. Then it becomes sort of like, oh, ha ha, gotcha, versus right. you should quit your job. You're terrible at this. <laughs> I get a lot of those quote tweets um, of a tweet. They'll say expert should be, uh, I don't know how he has a job. Right. Right, like right. the reason why these people have jobs is because they're saying things that people are talking about. And most of the time, those things are going to be very bold and they're going to be very wrong when they're wrong. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, the book gets into, there's a lot of context sometimes that actually goes into the takes that suck. It's just, we can't predict the future. We're going to yeah. do our best. And and some people, um, some people, I think, understand and recognize the nature of the business that no one really cares if they're wrong, as long as they're loud and boisterous about it. And they make a lot of money doing that. Yeah, so exactly. they have the last laugh for all of us that expect you to be right 
and measured all the time. Um, I want to ask how you prepare the receipts uh, for at Old Takes Exposed. Uh, are you are you just sort of watching and waiting for someone to say something really declarative and then saving it in case it, it shows up later to be wrong? Is it mostly people submitting them to you? How are you finding most of the goodies for the account? Now, it's it, there's a significant amount of suggestions. I get suggestions about everything. It's hard to even wade through. 60% of them are repeats. I've already seen or already used. Right. But um, I get a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff I wouldn't use, a lot of stuff I do. But uh, I, I get, I get mo- what journalists and, and media people hate the most, more than me posting their take when it's already wrong, is when they get tagged. When I get tagged 50 times of something they say in real time, that just sounds even remotely predictive. <laughs> right. And you know, it hasn't it, happened yet. It's not exposed. They get <laughs> like, real wait and see. But when I get those, I'll, I'll sometimes, if it, I'll bookmark it, I'll do the bookmark thing. And then like at the end of the day, I'll put the bookmark into, if it's, especially for NFL season, because NFL season's the most, gets the most interaction. I'll put it in some sort of, uh, you know, mail. I have it in my Gmail, like yeah. draft of a Gmail draft that posts like all like about each team. So that's what I'll do. But for the most part, it's it's me looking up things in the past. When I first started the feed, I don't think at the time people were really aware of how easy it was to find old tweets based on the Twitter search function. It was kind of something that uh, I don't know if people knew about it as well, but I knew that the, the search terms were relatively similar to what I had been using as a lawyer. These search, these there are these uh, catalogs or, or platforms called Westlaw data banks and, and, and LexisNexis where we look up case law and we use these search terms to try to find the case that we want. And it was a lot of the same type of terms. So I figured out how to do it. You say, like if a coach got fired, um, you just go on, you, you, you look up uh, uh, a Google coach hired, the name of the coach hired, you find out the date they were hired and then you look up the name of that coach and then that date. And he's yeah. hired, of hire, and then there'll be a, just a bunch of tweets. Great hire, amazing hire. So right, that's how right. I used to do it back then, all the time. I yeah. use that now, and I kind of there's a filter where you can just make it for the verified accounts, or else there's just going to be way too many um, search, uh, way too many, too many, yeah, random, so, random so, results, yeah. unrelated. So yeah, it's that's yeah. how I used to do it. I still do it now. Uh, you look at a time where a team was, if a team makes the playoffs and does really well, and they were once one and three. You go back to that third loss. You go to the data that are third loss. Yeah, and then and that's <laughs> that's really and Twitter is so reactionary. I mean, the narrative yeah. changes week to week. Um, Twitter is like a narrative version of power ranking. It's like <laughs> a, yeah. a team wins, a team loses. University of Florida, I University of Florida was like the top up and coming team uh, last Sunday or last Monday. And um, and now they're just like they shouldn't even be ranked. Uh, it, it, yeah, sports it, fans uh, are not good at managing emotions no, or using perspective. Uh, and so, but what's interesting about it is because I actually, for my radio show, over the course of several years, I've tried to get us doing some sort of segment called like "We Got the Receipts" or something. Right. Because I've always wanted to do some sort of accuracy and accountability check-ins because we have so many people throughout the year that come on our show at the beginning of the season, you know, I'd be surprised if the Patriots can get nine wins. And we don't like write it down. We just react in the moment and then keep it moving. And unlike Twitter, where you can go back and look at it in print and watch the undulations of like high and low and how we're feeling, you just sort of, they start to blend together. So we remember big bold huge opinions especially at the beginning of the season the bears are going to be terrible right. they're going to have like three wins right but we don't really remember the slowly evolving ones as they happen unless they're in print somewhere and with radio it's so ephemeral that you don't capture that and then i go back and i always want to check in and see did we have a guest that said the thing and at the time we didn't believe it or the opposite where the extreme was was completely wrong and so it's interesting how you actually go or go about preparing and, and, you know, go back to like find the thing because there's a perfect example of that, that, that she actually got me on. Thank you very little. Um, <laughs> November 1st of 2021, 
and the Bulls beat the brakes off the Celtics. And I said, man, these post-game quotes, the Bulls broke the Celtics. Oh, yeah. Fast forward, they're in the NBA Finals, yeah. and someone's checking me on November 1st. And it was a bit of a stretch, but fine. Okay, they weren't broken. They were just mildly uh, dinged up. They brought themselves back together and made the Finals. But um, it is always interesting because it takes work to go back and find that stuff or to be smart enough to – preemptively save things and be ready for it. Well, I think with you and your show, you don't like, that's an example that I use all the time when people say, who are the most used people? Like the people who I use the most. Well, there's a lot of people like with your show, um, you, your show doesn't have, I guess the same bandwidth as a show that's like also simulcast on TV, like, uh, like Cowherd show, or maybe like the, the FS one people, uh, the media people, they're, they're really big on posting every single thing Cowherd said. And then automatically it's in the, the Twitter sphere forever. You could search it, but I don't think your, your show is posting everything you said. Of course not. That's well, the right, thing. right, right. So, like so most of my takes are coming, you know, where you're, where you're, I, I don't go on Twitter and write very often. I yeah. should amend because you got me again. <laughs> <laughs> with the old, uh, there's no chance the Bucks win this series. They'd have to win game seven on the road, and KD's not letting that happen, period. <laughs> well, it did happen. I was wrong. But I rarely do that on social media. Um, if right. anything, it's in the course of conversation on TV or on the radio, and those don't always get put somewhere where people no. can then repost them. Um, right. So, listen, I would say I'm smart for doing that, but again, the highest paid people are the ones constantly getting got because they know how the business works. It's about right. being loud wrong and not caring. Right, and you, like the people who are the loudest um, and say all these loud things are going to be the, the ones who get those posts posted because they, the social media team in ESPN sees Stephen A say something right like yeah. just well, like just does one of his rants and they're going to post the rant because they know it's going to get a gazillion views and hits and that's what like that's what like Cowherd's group does and then Cowherd gets put, tagged to me every every week and people say <laughs> that, that Cow, Cowherd's the most used Cowherd has the most cold takes well I don't know if that's true because, but he has the most catalog cold picks. I tell you that. <laughs> it's like, I bet. But, I bet. It, 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 but I think that that's just the type of thing. It's, it's whoever gets cataloged the most, because I'm not going to sit there and listen to everybody's show. Um, and I think that that's what, why, like, Mike Francesa got really mad because there's that one account who was great at watching all <laughs> back after this, he was great at watching all of his shows. There yep. was no way anyone else would have ever posted those Francesa quotes. We'll get right back to the interview, but first, what's your favorite word? Happily. Happily. I thought it might be unprophetic, which is your favorite word for describing the frozen takes that you feature, but I like happily. Uh, Mid-14th century, by chance or accident. Late 14th century, by good fortune, luckily. Uh, in the 1510s, it also came to mean in pleasant circumstances with mental pleasure and contentment. So used to be more like a happy accident, then it became kind of how we use it now. I'll happily do that, or I was happily wandering through the forest. Um, different sources say different things about the term happily ever after, uh, but it's believed to have been first used to describe marriage in 1710. And interestingly, before that, it meant in heaven, like happily in the ever after eternally in bliss, um, just like marriage, I guess, most of the time. Speaking of great words, you gonna learn today. The word of the week is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. The word of the week is a word we never use anymore, but we should. Finifugal. It's an old adjective that means shunning the end of something or hating endings. A meal, a great book, a relationship... Um, it's from the Latin fini for end and fuga for flight. Uh, allegedly, it was coined by a writer, L.A. Tolomange, in a passage about how classical writers, quote, disliked the idea of sunset and recoiled from the end of everything. Can't even be found in most dictionaries. Uh, so might have just been a word out of L.A.'s own mind. Uh, here it is in a sentence. While I love the crisp air, the comfy sweatshirts, and the colorful leaves of autumn, I'm simultaneously dreading the fall because I'm finifugal about summer. Now let's get back to the interview. I wanted to ask you, 
about some of the responses? Have mm -hmm. you gotten particularly funny or particularly angry responses from just reminding people of something that they said? Yeah, uh, all the time. I used to get it all the time. Like when I first started the account because um, I didn't have that, that much clout. So, right. but I think people started to realize once they did it, I would just retweet it. And when the account got bigger, they never looked good. Ever. Right, right, so, um, right, right. <laughs> so they had to keep their mouths shut or just like make fun of themselves. But I have gotten just general quotes. Now, I don't can't think of who exactly who it is all the time. But I had uh, with from blue check people who just go off on my feed and just write all these things about how my feed is useless, how they don't like it, how like, yeah, call me a loser. What do I do with my life? One of the things I categorize, like you categorize someone on Twitter based on what they do, like they think. I just sit around and have no life and just play right, play, right. right. I'm yeah. sure you've been accused of living in a basement um, right, and right. many, many times. That's um, the go-to. <laughs> right. Like the guys, the people who do that, um, there are people who really take their work seriously, really take their work seriously. And they believe that they're doing important stuff and they could be, um, but uh, they believe that I'm not, and I'm not going through the trouble right. to do the important stuff. So I should be looked down upon and, and that, you know, who did that to me, um, not, and they're great writers and they do important stuff sometimes, but they really didn't like me because of that, uh, Deadspin, but not the new, mm. Deadspin, the old Deadspin guy. They really right. like that. And they used to say stuff like that about my account. Um, and because they are sitting there doing a lot of work, but at the end of the day, you know, they're known for what they do, like, and they're, and and they have you know they've done they have done significantly more work than me and people know that they don't have to say yeah. it. like that's the thing yeah. uh, uh, I'm not trying to tell everybody I'm smarter than everybody else but I think that that's what people think that of me right I think we're it's also the nature of Twitter is it is so common for there to be just an incessant sniping about everything right. all the time no right. matter what you post no matter what your opinion is you could say man i love a sunny beautiful day and someone will be like "Fuck you climate change you're like no uh, so you're just so ready to defend that someone like you that now it's become part of the fun of sports is this playful back and forth when it started i'm sure a lot of people were like hey screw you i can't get everything right who is this guy like i'm sure you got a lot of man in the arena sent your way you know it's not the critic that counts it's you know right. i'm sure there is a lot of that feeling um but and i get it it is especially um as a woman in the business like i'm always worried i get one thing wrong and people will be like this is why women shouldn't and i'm like exactly. Wait, the whole gender oh no i took down the whole gender um Sarah, but when you get more secure then it's easier to have fun with it i feel like with women i feel like and even even everybody i feel, I feel like especially with women i think that um, and I get tagged all of these, um, uh, plenty of commentary from women that, uh, that you guys will get more stuff like that when you say the tweet, when you say the opinion, because it, it, then people can go up and argue with you about why you're wrong. Um, mm -hmm. Like, as opposed to when you get it wrong, because it's already wrong. So people could tell you how stupid you are about what you say and argue why, and then they go out and add why it's stupid and why you shouldn't be in sport. And then um, uh, why you're like, it happens. I think I, I get tagged sometimes to things that people think are stupid. Right. But it's not actually this verifiably wrong. It's subjective. <laughs> yeah. And I got that the other day with, I, Scott, I forgot her name, but she was, they interviewed me. In uh, what at Perloff's house now? In the uh, oh, yeah, um, Molly, right? Um, no, 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 I'm, I'm looking to look it up. I, I have it on my schedule. Maggie Gray, Maggie Gray, Maggie, Maggie about yes. linemen or something. I don't remember what it was, but um, I guess you know, I, I guess it, it, it wasn't uh, like offensive linemen said it wasn't really the greatest thing in the world to say, but I mean, but people say that stuff all the time. People yeah. say stuff all the time who've never played football. But right. um, but I think at that point, it's like one of those things where it gives people the excuse to say something like that. When in general, you know, Maggie Gray is no different than me or Perloff. Both right. journalists yeah. never played football. 
It's easier to find something a woman said and presume it's because she doesn't belong than just to think that there's pl plenty of people in the business, yeah, who don't. Like, don't why? why uh, there's so many journalists. And, yeah. I mean, like, like seventy-five percent of them, eighty percent. I guess ninety-five yeah. percent who never play. Yeah, you never. Yeah, I mean, I. I'm curious how often people don't get it too, though, because you said, you know, people would send you stuff that's just a subjective opinion and not a fact. And you're like, this isn't it. Because I have a very personal vendetta against the this didn't age well guy because <laughs> people like they find a post three hours later and the post was about that moment. Very clearly right. about that moment. It wasn't a prediction. Right. Uh, it wasn't a suggestion right of what might happen. And you're just like, that's not how it works, my guy. Like, this is annoying. <laughs> I wonder how often with you, people just don't get it. Every day, all the time. If you look at my search and just write, like, from three old takes exposed and write yeah. prediction, from <laughs> old takes exposed prediction, you will see uh, at least... 200 replies where I wrote, not a prediction, right. not a prediction. Not I got prediction. one yesterday where the, it, it happened a lot with team accounts. The Patriots came out on the field and they said, it's go time. Like, they're ready to play the game. Right? Yeah, like that's, they're not saying yeah, that's not they're, not a... the game. they're just spreading the play of the game. They're ready for the season to start. Oh, that's my it. God. Um, uh, another one would be um, a pitcher came in and they go, it's time. He's here. Congratulations. His first ever appearance. Yeah. And then that picture gets rocked. Well, he still made the first appearance. His first ever appearance. There was no, no prediction on how it would go. Uh, I almost, yeah, I almost sent you one uh, yesterday because um, somebody sent me the bears are getting demolished. And I wrote back, it's zero, zero. Like it's a little <laughs> early for this. Like they yeah. don't look good. I'm not going to tell you, I know what's going to happen in this game, but they're getting demolished when the score is zero, zero in the second quarter. What are we doing here? Right. And also journalists, like there's journalists who carry the water for a certain coach. Cause you know, that they were right. very, very, very close to that coach and what they'll do. And you could tell right away is when like the coach who got fired is gone and the, the Bears start off poorly, they'll say, oh, well, <laughs> everyone who blamed the Nagy, you know? Right. Who blamed, right. It's like they had one drive where they didn't score. Right. <laughs> How often do you see the, the, the rare reverse old takes exposed? Oh, I get it. It comes back around and you're like, well, oh, oh okay, yeah. I guess we're back at the start again. I get it. Well, Carson Wentz is one of them. I, Carson oh, Wentz yeah. was one of those guys where in 2017, when he was like playing out of his mind and was going to be the MVP until he got hurt, he was, I was posting all these tweets from everybody that said that he was going to be terrible and it was a terrible pick by the Eagles and all that stuff. And, um, and you know, those people, and he didn't turn out to be as good as, as those, me posting those tweets uh, would have, actually thought yeah, you know? that, that, yeah. That type of thing it's happens. almost like there's like nuance in sports and people have ups and downs in their careers at different right. coaches and schemes and, uh... <laughs> validate or, or discredit yeah. that's the thing they want to discredit the, the Notre Dame head coach is the is one and I had to even post a disclaimer because I was getting so much crap for that the Notre Dame head coach is there for three games he lost mm -hmm. a really bad game this week but I mean, he's recruiting his own team. So yeah. like, why do I even want to wait? I'm waiting two years for that. Like, I, I'm not waiting right. for one right. game. For, he lost a bowl game and a game to a, where he was 17-point underdogs, and then he lost one bad game. So, uh, yeah. and you know, I posted, like, how Nick Saban lost to Monroe when he was in his first year at Alabama. Kirby Smart took over a 10-win team and lost to Vanderbilt at home a really bad Vanderbilt team his first year and, and people wanted to get people wanted to trash him. So I was just like, you want a way for them to bring their own team in, but people so badly want to discredit and validate right away, right away. Yeah. It's an immediate reaction, overreaction, which right now as the football season starts is going to be it's just fantastic. Ultimate. You know, Aaron Rodgers is washed and everything else. <laughs> you know, we we, we need to wait. So with that one, but uh, now, but it, 2016, there was a lot of Aaron Rodgers wash and 2014, there was a lot of Brady wash. 
So, oh yeah, I mean, Brady has had three full Hall of Fame careers uh, uh, between the times <laughs> that people have tried to like well, to end him. There was a ten season drought. He didn't win the Super Bowl, and then there was one game against Kansas City in 2014 where he was terrible. And um, at the end of the game, Trent Dilfer was on the field. He said, it's a weak team, New England Patriots. They aren't good anymore. <laughs> and it was on Monday Night Football. Everyone saw it. And that game, that was it for Brady. And they won the Super yeah. Bowl that year. And I think they won the Super Bowl the year after. And, uh, um, I and a couple more times. Yeah, yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's talk about the book because there's Brady in there and yeah. uh, Belichick. And there's all sorts of fascinating tales that uh, i think the part that uh, that i read that that made the most sense was sh uh, context for shame mitigation yeah. right that when it's just a simple retweet there's very little that someone for instance i don't know if you said the bulls broke the celtics uh you know maybe that was the context of it being november 1st and the high expectations and the bulls not being a good team and yada yada and then things change, right? What is the context around the statement you're making? Now, sometimes no context will help someone in the absurdity of what they've written and the overreaction that they've made. But a lot of the stories in this book, uh, which is called uh, Freezing Cold Takes NFL, Football Media's Most Inaccurate Predictions and the Fascinating Stories Behind Them. A lot of the stories are really interesting to read why you can go back and find someone saying, trade Steve Young, don't hire Bill Belichick, Brady Quinn is the next Dan Marino. Like the storylines behind it are fascinating. And I want to just quickly talk about a couple of them. One, of course, being... The Lebitard Show's Greg Cody, who has been called out often on Lebitard Show uh, and has answered many times to his all-time great cold take, leading off a November 4th, 1993 Miami Herald column with, quote, trade Dan Marino, keep Scott Mitchell. Now, in this particular one, I was, I was deeply disturbed to learn that Scott Mitchell was not nearly as bad as he is oft remembered to be because of Greg Cody's terrible take. In fact, his best season after being sent to the Lions is better than any Bears quarterback ever, seeing as no <laughs> Bears quarterback has ever thrown for 4,000 yards. Um, but he's remembered in part because of that tension of filling in for Marino for a couple games and playing well, and the immediate overreaction of Cody to say, looks like we found our guy, get rid of the Hall of Famer. Um, you're a Florida guy, so this one must have been one of the longest held and most widely like known cold takes of your lifetime. Oh yeah, it was the original. I mean, we talked about it every year. I don't think many people outside of Miami knew about it, remembered it that much because you know, didn't get as much traction um, when it was a local colonist really got traction locally and not as much nationally, but it made national news. But, but um, we remembered it because I used to get to Miami Herald and I used to go to the Dolphin games. I was 10 minutes from the stadium. I had season tickets. I remember the game with Mitchell. And uh, it, was, it was a big deal at the time because, well, Scott, Scott Mitchell came on. Dan Marino had never gotten hurt, ever. He was hurt maybe missed two games his rookie season. And from 1984 to 1992, he never missed a game. And he was all of my, Miami Dolphins. And Dan, Dan Marino was the guy in Miami. The guy. There was no one even close to him. And, um, and when he got hurt, he was a freak injury. He hurt his Achilles on like a non-contact injury in Cleveland. And then Mitchell came in. He won that game in Cleveland. Then he won two starts. The second start was against Kansas City at in Miami in one of these games where like the team just gets completely shot with the humidity. Uh, he dominated the Chiefs. We won thirty to ten. It was Joe Montana. Joe Montana looked terrible, and um, and that's when Cody wrote the article right after that game. And um, he, but Cody was basically saying that uh, you know we the salary cap had just started. So we couldn't keep Mitchell. We had him for three years, but we couldn't keep him. The Dolphins couldn't keep him. And um, so what that happened was is that they had to uh, – Cody said that 
Mitchell was going to go to somewhere else, or we could trade Marino, get a bunch of draft picks, and keep the young guy because Marino was 33. And he said he was just suggesting it, not actually <laughs> predicting it. Well, it went nuts right away in Miami. Everyone was like, are you kidding me? Boo. He went on the, he went on the show in um, the, the, Dan, the Don Chula's coaches show with Jimmy Cephalo in that Don Chula's steakhouse. And he was uh, at the Miami Herald Museum uh, building, which was a really iconic building at the time. It's not there anymore, but like he was in front of the building and they put on and they, and Jimmy Cephalo had him like simulcast, like a, a live hit, like, him standing in front of the middle, but they put a, they put a, uh, uh, like witness. They like pixelated him. Yeah. And covered his voice. Yeah, the, so the, good. The joke. Like, you know, be seen. <laughs> they knew in the moment <laughs> that this was going to haunt yeah. him forever. Yeah. And he just like, they were just going off on him. And, um, and it was like one of those things that could have lasted a long time, but Mitchell played terrible the next game against the Jets. And then he got hurt the game after. So he didn't really play that much. So it fizzled right out. And the Dolphins didn't make the playoffs that year after starting seven and two. So um, it, it fizzled out. But, you know, at the time, it was a really, really big deal. And um, Mitchell ended up getting a big contract with Detroit. But the reason yeah. why Mitchell is remembered is because of that article and the fact that he was the original free agency quarterback, backup quarterback to get the big deal based on like a couple of games. And then we saw later on yeah. with like Kevin Cobb, and Matt Flynn, and those guys. Yeah. But Mitchell was the original. Matt Castle. And he got mm -hmm. a huge amount of yeah. money back then. Well, it's fun to read. I mean, I think there's a bunch of really fun ones to read in here. One of the things I love is the ones where you get some blasts to the pasts of reporters who are now established in other things, but started out somewhere else and had some <laughs> real hot takes. And the yeah, the Belichick one, that's what I was going to say. Okay, so the, the gist on this one is the Patriots uh, are hiring Bill Belichick away from the Jets. So Belichick was contractually the successor to Bill Parcells. When Parcells retired, he was set to become the Jets head coach. In fact, it instantly became it, but instead announced his resignation, said it had to do with ownership change, but really had his eyes set on the Patriots gig. He ended up having to file a grievance with the league to be let out of his Jets contract and pursue the New England gig. There was some picks and, and money involved in order to allow him to make the move. And a lot of people criticized Belichick. At that point, he had had a bad uh, time with his first head coaching gig in Cleveland and now they considered him cowardly and dishonorable for not owning up to the contract and many were saying that the Jets dodged a bullet by losing yeah. Bill Belichick to the Patriots and the best is Adrian Wojnarowski now a superstar basketball reporter for ESPN was then a reporter for the record out of New Jersey and he wrote Belichick belongs in the darkened caves of film rooms where he never ever has to be responsible for a franchise. Uh, perhaps even better, Ian O'Connor was writing for the Journal News and wrote, quote, a man you wouldn't want running your $2 hot dog stand. <laughs> of course, in 2018, Ian O'Connor wrote a book titled Belichick, the making of the greatest football coach of all time, and really had to eat his words. So those are so fun. Are there, what are some of the most fun ones that you found in, in, I mean, it's a lot of research in this book, going back to find these where you look at a name that's really respected or maybe does a different sport now, and you know that they look back and cringe. Well, um, I, I don't know about different sport per se. Um, I can't think of, I, 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 you know, I have been looking up to try to do potentially do a basketball coach. I did see Richard Roper and, uh, <laughs> yeah, the lifestyle yeah. back then. He was a lifestyle guy from Chicago. Sometimes he became, okay. a he, he, and this is just a sidetrack. He, he said it's in 1993 to trade Michael Jordan because he <laughs> traded him to Charlotte where someone will appreciate him and let him have his, Oh boy. Oh boy! Oh no! Oh, uh, and no. He, then, then, then he wrote a follow-up article that said he was serious about it. So he can't even say. It. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, I just did it for the clicks. He's like, no, I mean it. Oh so, my gosh! So, but um, I do. I, if I can think of off the top of my head, uh, um, let me think. You know, I don't know about specifically who's covering another sport later on, but there's a lot of them now who you look back and you say. Uh, like I guess McShay, McShay has the one about Aaron Rodgers, where he said that yep. Brian Brom had more upside than Aaron Rodgers, um, and that was like <laughs> when he first started. <laughs> but you know, in those, in those, in that article, I talk about how you know 
back in those days, in like 2008 draft, there wasn't every pick was commentary about every pick wasn't being posted. Yeah. So a lot of people were lucky that their commentary. A lot of people escaped. escaped. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a great fan happened to post that on YouTube yep. when it happened, and McShay couldn't, and, and it was Merrill Hodge as well. But there's some yeah. fun ones. There's some really fun ones to look back at, like Herschel Walker with the Cowboys, and how, um, and how people were ridiculing Jimmy Johnson for essentially tanking and trading all of uh, Herschel's best player for a whole bunch of draft picks, and turned out to become what the dynasty of the Cowboys became. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why that's why the book providing actual context makes it exactly. um, a really interesting read instead of just a funny gotcha. Like the funny gotchas are great in the moment, but for football fans, NFL fans, it's a really great read because you do sort of get dropped back into history. I mean, the point, even something as simple as, you know, Dan Marino was set to make $5 million and Scott Mitchell was going to make three. And how could you keep both, right? Yeah. When you think about the money flying around now or, you know, the draft ones are always going to hurt because there's so much expectation for major declarative statements that night without ever seeing these people in, in the professional leagues. Um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great book for NFL fans and football fans and a lot of really fun looks back at what people thought and how, also how things were covered. I do think the, the, uh, intimacy of social media where yeah. people don't have to pull out a pen and paper and a stamp to tell you how dumb you are does make people potentially a little more careful in the way that they write about things and also a little more fair and humane in their treatment of athletes as human beings not everyone of course but i do think you know you're probably less likely to call a coach a despicable troll of a human being these days as opposed to just describing their behavior as such um in part because you'll be seeing them all the time <laughs> one of the interesting ones and a really interesting one and it, it was kind of a collateral to what i originally just planned to write about um was i have a chapter on the uh, it was essentially to highlight how stupid draft grades are but i have a chapter on the, yes. the Ravens draft and it was 1996. It was the first year that Ravens were the Ravens and they drafted in the first round, uh, you know, Ray Lewis and John Ogden. And they got like a C in most of the draft grades. And those are two hall of famers, probably two of the best that ever played their position. The reason why they got a C and most of the people's uh, draft grades is because they neglected to draft Lawrence Phillips. And Lawrence Phillips was a huge story back then because he pulled his girlfriend out of his, out of someone's apartment. It was the apartment of Scott Frost, who was the backup quarterback then. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, it was an interesting side note to the story, but um, he pulled her out of the apartment and dragged her down the stairs and he got suspended indefinitely for Nebraska. And he was one of the best players in the country. And then he eventually got reinstated and he won a national championship. He scored three touchdowns in the national championship game where they killed Florida. So he got his draft status became big again. It was a big deal about whether teams would draft him. And some teams said they wouldn't draft him and some teams did. The Ravens didn't pick him, but they were going to yeah. until they realized that Ogden was still available. So they picked Ogden and then the Rams picked him. And it was the way it was covered was so much different than it covered now. Um, I yeah, think it, absolutely. Josiah Theismann went off during the draft and he was talking about how um, it was a great pick and everything. Mel Kuyper said it was a bad pick. He was right. But, but Joe, Joe Theismann was saying things like, this isn't a league of angels. There are people who've had problems. They got over oh. them. I think as a young man, will put this behind him mm. and be a better football player. But he just couldn't handle all the stuff that that it was thrown at him and he got was cut from the the Rams. He was cut from the 49ers and then he just completely fell off the face of the earth and then eventually went to jail for years and years and years. And then he killed his inmate, uh, stalemate and committed suicide. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I think that people really wanted him to be like rehabilitated. And I think that that was really like the, right. The, right. The, and, and, but that's the reason why and they got seized and they picked they drafted right. one of the best college offensive linemen of all time and clear cut the number one offensive lineman in the draft uh, in Ogden. Ray Lewis was another guy who was like really good in college, but he was slipped down because he was 
uh, height and weight was, I guess, was a little bit below. But but that's why he got a C. And the, the, the Rams got an A across the board. They were like, it was a great draft for them. Right. <laughs> of course. But that's the issue that I always have. And I understand, especially being from ESPN, where we get a lot of content and money out of the NFL draft, but the demand for people to make grades yeah, immediately exactly. before they've seen anyone play, the demand for the takes, and there's pages and pages of incredible NFL <laughs> draft frozen takes in the book that are just a comedy segment on its own, um, just so incredible, incredible. Um, and I know, you know, certain people where it comes up every time, Greg Bedard, if you have him on any show and he talks about anything, people will bring up how he said people like Rob Gronkowski. I don't see it at all. Um, there's so many of them. Anyway, it's a, it's a fantastically fun book for everybody, but those who are featured in it. And, uh, I think most sports fans will really enjoy it. And, um, it's really fun to get to talk to you and and the person behind uh, the accountability. I uh, I might start getting spicy yeah. with my takes. Just you know, need to make a couple more appearances. <laughs> I haven't been featured often, uh, so I'm gonna start putting mine in print. I'll get tagged right away. <laughs> I know you will. Trust me. Uh, Fred, thanks so much for coming on the show and thank and uh, good luck with the book. Thank you so much for having me. That's what she said. Oh yeah, one more thing. This week. No rants or raves. I won't suggest you to read or listen to anything. Instead, a checkup with our That's What She Said Do crew. One final update. If you've been following along, we all, this big group of us, made a big goal at the start of the year. It was a, a habit change, maybe something new to learn, a long put-off adventure, which in my case was hiking the Grand Canyon with my mom and my husband. Took a lot of training and planning, but was a great success back in April. And the Do crew was sort of me putting out there into the world. I'm going to do this. I'm setting myself up for the potential embarrassment of failing. I'm going to, you know, make sure my training is public and accountable so that I don't show up on the side of a mountain and be like, oh no, I definitely should have prepped for this. Uh, so it all worked out for me and a handful of others have been uh, committed to the do crew and doing this uh, pretty much all year long. So here are the final updates. We'll start with Christopher Savage, who wanted to regularly create music for his YouTube channel, Savage and the Beasts. And the biggest challenges were finding time to work on it and, you know, finding the motivation to be creative. But he said his biggest win is he's got three songs uploaded and 34 views. We can get him some more, right? So go check out Savage and the Beasts on YouTube. Uh, he said he's learned a lot about mixing software and that maybe his original timeline was a little too optimistic, that one song a week. So now he's more like one song a month or so. He said, it's been a fun experience. Glad to have been a part of it. I've tried many times to make music for public consumption, but this is the first time I've published anything. Being a part of the group provided the motivation to see it through. I love that. Keep at it, Christopher. Okay, let's hear from Erica. Hi, my name is Erica, and my commitment to the Do Crew is to finish a children's story I've been working on and write at least two more short romance stories by November 30th. Oh, I'm so glad that you got the travel and the weddings in. Honestly, I've been much kinder to myself about certain goals or plans or you know, cleaning out the garage or any of those things. Because as we start to get back to normal, I just want to enjoy the stuff that I was missing. Um, big trips, dinners, parties, etc. So I'm glad you're balancing sort of the expectations for your writing with taking in all that good stuff with your friends and family. So keep at it. Let us know when we can read your work. Uh, I want to check it out. Sarah Steinman, part of the Dew Crew, her goal was to complete a triathlon. She signed up for the Philly Women's Triathlon in July, but she had to defer registration to 2023 because of an injured calf in May. So she says, quote, while I was very disappointed at first, I found the motivation to look for a new race called the Jersey Girl Triathlon in late September. I signed up and I've been training hard to get ready. Aside from that, my biggest challenge was figuring out how to switch gears on the fancy road bike that a friend let me borrow. And my biggest win is that I'm really enjoying the training, especially biking and swimming. As a runner, I have the least experience with those two areas, but I'm having so much fun diversifying my workouts. And I've successfully done several open water training swims to get ready for the race, something I never thought I would have the courage to do. On September 4th, I will be three weeks away from race day. Bad ass, Sarah. Please keep us updated on how it goes. I'm already impressed with the open water training swims. That is scary as hell. Um, can't wait to hear how you do. Uh, let's go to crew member Lucas Hunter on how his progress is going. Hello to Sarah, to the Do crew, to our friends. Oh, that's what she said. I'm Lucas. You might remember me as the recent MFA graduate who was looking to get some of his writing placed for the first time. Well, I am happy to report 
that over the course of 2022, that's just not happened. I sent out to a couple of mags, not as many as I possibly could have, I admit, um, and definitely mags with high barriers of entry, but I never really got picked up anywhere. And you know what? I'm fine with that because I moved out of my parents' house after being an unemployed art school graduate for about six months. I have a job that I really, really enjoy and like. I have what is functionally my dream apartment in a city where I have a lot of friends. And I've adopted the sweetest, most perfect little dog and managed to buy myself my first car of my adulthood after driving my very first car for 10 years. I finally got to upgrade. So even though I may not have any of my work somewhere, I think things turned out pretty well, and I'm thankful for that. So thank you to Sarah, thank you to the pod, thank you to the new crew, and everyone take care. I love that perspective. I do, because I think finding a bunch of wins, even as you're still working on that big goal, is great. Um, and you told me you've already got two new goals for next year, so I love that. Uh, let's get to Doug. Doug's goal is to put more emphasis on physical and mental health. Said he continues to seek out the mental health and anxiety help resources available through his job. And he's taken strides with his physical health. Uh, would like to do more, but he's getting going, including doing a local charity bike ride to raise money for the Colorado Ovarian Cancer Alliance. Uh, said it not only helped him feel better, but raised money for a great cause. Keep at it, Doug. And find those moments maybe where if somebody else's... Um, well-being is what you're prioritizing, but it helps you. Maybe that's the trick for you. Maybe if you're not good at self-care or prioritizing yourself, finding charitable races, helping out friends, uh, other ways to stay mentally and physically fit might, might be the trick. All right, here's Ross and how his goal changed a little bit. So my goal was to write a cookbook and I've got a unique story about it. The goal came about as I was feeling a little jaded about my generation growing more of an appreciation for viral food trends over traditional cooking and not really trying to learn how to cook. My biggest challenge was finding a way to make a cookbook that was palatable to people my age who just don't want to cook. And it kind of hit me. Uh, no one's actually trying to read a full-on cookbook if they're not interested in the first place. So oddly enough, my biggest win was realizing I had the right goal but the wrong process. And I didn't want to make a cookbook. I just wanted to make cooking more interesting and accessible to others. And ultimately, I dropped the cookbook idea and, well, I made a TikTok. And now I create and post videos on there. And it's, it's pretty fun. This came with its own set of challenges. And I'm still kind of in my Kevin Durant phase where I just generally have no idea what I'm doing on that app. But it's fun. I was super nervous at first and an imposter syndrome and all that fun stuff. And the first video I made, I sat on it for two months because I was worried it wasn't good enough or no one was going to care. And one night I just kind of said, screw it. And I uploaded it and nothing really happened. Uh, after a few days, I just kind of accidentally tabbed over to my profile or whatever. And I saw 400 people had watched the video, which I mean, doesn't seem like a lot, but it was kind of jarring for me at first. And I think the biggest win was no one said anything nasty or disparaging or hateful in the comments or anything like that. So, I mean, that feels like a win in itself on the internet. And ultimately, I'm pretty happy about how my experience turned out. I'm, I'm a pretty stubborn person, so it took a lot of self-reflection to realize that there was a better decision out there and I needed to just stop being stupid and swallow my pride and just jump headfirst into something regardless of how scary it was. And to finish up, I just kind of want to thank you, Sarah, for helping me personally realize a goal that I guess I kind of had repressed for a long time out of fear of failure. So thanks a lot. It really means the world to me and I hope everyone else had a similar experience. Okay, well, not getting attacked on the internet is probably the biggest win of the year. So congrats on that, Ross. Uh, I'm glad that you ultimately found the purpose and the goal just by getting started. I think uh, so often what we really want or what we're meant to do reveals itself when we just start doing instead of thinking and worrying and procrastinating or thinking we won't be good enough. So just get started. That's it. If it changes over the course of doing, great. Then that's what it's meant to be. And it's sure better than sitting on your ass. So love that. 
Uh, Jared's goal was to construct a crossword puzzle and submit it for publish in an established venue. He says, did I achieve my goal? Nope. I did take some steps, though. Downloaded crossword construction software, came up with a handful of theme ideas and started on a grid or two, but wasn't able to land the plane and finish a baseline grid, let alone move on to composing corresponding clues. Think I could have used a co-constructor or mentor for my first attempt and only recently reached out to an internet stranger slash regular constructor to partner on a grid. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. One of my main challenges is realizing that I much prefer hobbies that are interactive rather than solo ventures. This holds for my other interests as well. I'm a hobbyist musician, but rarely pick up my guitar to practice unless I'm actively in a band. It's clear to me part of the draw is social engagement, but it's tough to find others with similar hobbies. So I'll chalk up the initial task as a failure, but my win is learning something about myself. Now I got to recruit like-minded crossworders. I mean, I love that. You found a win despite not reaching the goal you set, and now you are more likely to reach those goals in the future because you understand how you operate best. And it's okay to say, listen, this is really tough for me to do by myself. I would enjoy this a lot more with somebody else. Think about how many incredibly successful people are in partnerships and have always done great work by partnering up. So you learn that about yourself by just doing it, which is great. All right, let's hear from Katie Shelley. One of the difficult things about a year-long goal is that it's hard to feel progress when you're taking small steps. So it's been really great to see folks making progress with their own goals on the Do Crew Facebook page. And that's been really exciting and energizing for me lately. Amazing. Okay, Katie says that what she just said was, I'm Katie. I work at a school in August. I want a beer and to sleep. <laughs> Love it. Um, okay, you'll remember Katie's goal, of course, was to finish a Welsh course this year. Uh, she said she's worked on it nearly every day, but as it gets more complex, she thinks maybe just giving herself one year for the course was a bit more than she was ready for. She says, quote, with such a long goal, there are weeks where I've been on fire, waking up early, completing lessons over my morning coffee. Then I'll hit a challenging lesson and spend days frustrated that I'm not learning faster. For me, one win is that I didn't put it away. Even when I was at my busiest at work in April and August, it was time that I kept for myself. There were times when I rushed through a lesson or took it easy by not trying a harder lesson, but I'm glad I'm continuing it. And the do crew gave me the chance to reflect on what was working and what wasn't so that I could adjust rather than giving up. Awesome. Uh, that's a great example of how having this group to be accountable for and to check in with keeps you motivated in those moments that you might want to give up. Um, also, I feel like you need to keep working at the Welsh because Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney just bought that new Welsh soccer team. And you could definitely go out there and like talk to them in Welsh and talk to the players and like become friends with them. So goals, keep at it. Um, Supriya, our aspiring photographer, found a mentor who's a professional sports photographer and joined the volunteer photo program that he oversees at one of the uh, area universities, which is awesome because she got sideline access, chance to start monetizing her work as a side hustle, and achieved one of her big do crew goals of creating her own website to showcase her work. She wrote, one great thing that's already come out of my conversation with the mentor besides the opportunity was a reminder that my website doesn't have to be perfect out of the gate. It doesn't even have to be good. I just need to start it. And along with his associates, he'll help me refine it and polish it over time as my skill sets improve until I feel confident doing it myself. This was a nice little reminder to keep extending myself some grace rather than seeking perfection and a confidence boost to really getting this process started. Okay, love that. And it goes right back to what I was saying. Just get started. doesn't have to be perfect. You're not getting anywhere if you do nothing. You're not any closer to perfection if you do nothing. If you just get started and realize it's going to be more work than you thought, or it's going to be tough, or you need help, then you're closer to what you want to do. So I love that. Okay, finally, let's hear from Craig, my favorite. He's had a tough journey toward his goal, but Craig is such a great supporter, huge fan of the Levitard show, great fan of this podcast, and he's always so positive. So here's what Craig had to say. Hi, Sarah and crew. I'm Craig from Toledo, and my goal was to get my body in a position to start bowling again. A perfect game is on my bucket list. I've come so close on two occasions. My knees have been in bad shape from crawling around on the floor, stocking shelves at a grocery store for over 20 years, but I wanted to get my weight down and strength back to where I could bowl on my birthday in March. Since April, I ran into a labyrinth of roadblocks, including a broken arm, a torn rotator cuff, a second battle with COVID, and being hospitalized twice due to fluid buildup around my lungs and congestive heart failure. That's not to mention my crippling depression. I was denied physical therapy by my insurance company. I even had to give up my pup because I'm physically unable to care for him. He's in a good place now with my friends. The biggest win is that I haven't completely given up. I started off with very small goals. I want to be able to see a baseball game with my sister on September 20th. She has three pups and the Toledo Mud Hens let you take your dogs to the game on Tuesdays. I want to be able to walk up and down that small set of stairs. 
I bought a ticket to my first Rage Against the Machine concert in April in Detroit. I want to be able to get to my seat without losing my breath. I've been following the doctor's orders with regards to sodium intake and sticking to a regimen of medications. I even bought a pill caddy, and I'm leaning heavily on my faith in my church. They encourage me and show me mercy. It's good to surround yourself with people who care. With all these chronic health conditions, I've been told that time might be running out for your boy, and the pace of this recovery seems glacial. So I doubt I'll hit my original goal, but hopefully I will. When I do, you'll be the first ones to know. Thanks and good luck to you. Craig. Man, you are clearly going through it now and you've had so many unfortunate setbacks, but I love that you're always trying to stay optimistic. And I would like to point out that while you're struggling with the bowling goal, you achieved something that others in the Dew Crew are working hard to do and haven't yet done. If you remember, several Dew Crew members at the start of this wanted to get a book published and you wrote a book, Craig. Pandemirius. It's available on Kindle and in paperback. You guys should check it out. That's a huge achievement. You know, just keep reminding yourself of the good stuff you're doing, of the big goals you're achieving, and let your health stuff be slow and steady. Those friends from from church and your other friends, recruit them to help keep you honest and maybe choose walking to hang out with them sometimes instead of restaurant or bars. You know, just find ways to make movement be social and just keep at it. Just keep staying positive. You got the whole do crew behind you and all the listeners if that's what she said. I want to thank everybody for putting it out there, for daring to try, for just doing. I hope that listeners have learned and been inspired by you brave souls. And I hope uh, I hope the journeys and goals maybe have resonated with others, inspired them to try a thing, learn something, grow, evolve, just do it. This content is not sponsored by Nike, but maybe in the future it will be if we do another do crew. Uh, thanks as always for listening to That's What She Said. You can always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you have guest suggestions, questions, or more. Always go to the iTunes or podcast app, follow or subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate it five stars. Please give me a nice review. Maybe you'll end up on the pod. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 